All power and glory go to God. All greatness is from God. When a hero stumbles, well, the cowards rejoice. Nothing feels better to a coward than to watch a brave guy fall. Got a story that's behind his tricks And every GM got a story that's behind his picks And when you listen, pay attention to the details You can hear the ocean when you listen to the seashells A newborn taught me wisdom that college couldn't And college taught me how to talk more because I wouldn't Words are sharper, they can reshape your disposition Give out love and don't worry about your acquisitions too worried about the conflict that you clinching But your team is too much for you to carry in your own division Palms is itching, about to run into some money next Lord made me slow it down cause I was surely missing steps You will step into my goals Man knew Ginobili, can't nobody hold me I need change like a gentrified neighborhood But money ain't the only thing that can keep me straight for good Bread alone is only good for the physical Better make sure your soul's attached to your backbone Verses for your vertebrae, chapters for your shoulder blades Books for my mental state and letters on my dinner plate You consume by what you consume And the fumes from social media can mess up your cool Clickbait on the internet can ruin your food but depression ain't hashtag mood I wanna see the moon when I stare up at the constellations to connect the dots Vision's very clear, make moves, connect the plots And return all the earnings to my family Prayers for my health and for my sanity Right, we on the morning show with Prince Carlton. We got a very special guest. Uh, Cedric, go ahead and do your thing. Uh, so, so one of the first things we always like to ask our guests uh, when they come on is to <clears throat> explain who they are to our audience uh, in their own words. So, uh, you know, this is your chance to go ahead and do so. Yeah, so uh, the, I, I guess we'll start from where I'm at and then work our way backwards. So I'm a state representative from northeastern Wright County, northwest of the Twin Cities. Um, before that, I was a city council member in Albertville for seven years. I've lived in this community for over a decade, about 12 years. Um, and before that, I, I've i been, I've kind of been in this cross section between blue collar work, political activism and political commentary. So I had a radio show for a couple of years on Twin Cities News Talk in the evenings. Um, I've written for a couple of different publications. I was an associate editor for David Horowitz Freedom Center uh, and uh, contributed to PJ Media. And so I've always kind of been around politics um, just as a, as a guy, as an activist, and um, found myself kind of wiggling my way through the commentary space to become adjacent to all these politicians and um, when redistricting happened this last cycle 
opportunity presented itself with the opening of my district to run for state representative. And so here I am. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Okay. So, uh, you kind of answered some of the questions, but how did you get, how did you get into politics? What made you, what made you become a state representative? Well, I mean, ultimately it was, it, it was being involved. And I think right. that that's, you know, if I was going to suggest to somebody where do you, where to start, it's start where you're at. Um, right. because that's what I always did. You know, I, I was interested in conservative politics. You know, it started off as an interest, listening to radio, listening to people talk and just being interested in what was going on. And then uh, when my first son was born 14 years ago, I got more vested that that'll happen when you become Absolutely. a Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> um, and that was about the time that the Tea Party started. And so that was an opportunity to get involved. I was dragging him around in his in his car carrier to events and whatnot. And, <laughs> um, and I, I had a little bit of background in radio, a little bit of background in um, writing and whatnot. And so I parlayed those skills into, you know, appearances and guest hosting and writing for different publications and whatnot. And so it's just being around people, right? right. Being around the people where the stuff gets done, learning the process. I was involved in the in Republican Party politics that whole time. So I learned the ins and outs of how that process works. And rather than, uh, you know, have a, a goal of this is what I'm going to do and I, I want to be this someday. That was right. never part of it. Yeah. It was always, well, what are the opportunities? What are the options? What doors are open? How do I help? Um, and by approaching it that way, that's how I got where I'm at. So, so did you have any like uh did anybody come to you and ask you or did you have any like light bulb moment that was like yo it's time for me to do it right now <laughs> yeah i mean it, it wasn't really a light bulb uh-huh. moment so much as just seeing the the seeing the path illuminated right right um so i knew how redistricting worked because i had been involved the last time redistricting happened it happens every 10 years it goes along with the census so yep. they find out how many people live where and then they redraw the maps and that shakes things up politically and, pre- and presents opportunities every 10 years for people to get involved where they otherwise might not be. Because otherwise what happens is you get once somebody's elected, <clears throat> as you may have noticed, they tend to stay elected. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's this power of, of incumbents. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, unless you're going to take somebody on who's already there, which is always a little bit um, sloppy and contentious, uh, redistricting typically presents the best opportunities to get involved as a new person, which is probably a big part of the reason why there's so many, we call them freshmen, first term members of the house of representatives and, and senators as well this year. Um, And so I knew redistricting was coming. And as it got closer, as the maps being released got closer, I just was talking to the right people in terms of, Hey, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but just so you know, I'm interested. And, um, and I was ready to go. Like I had right. my, my website and all that stuff, you know, to where I could just click a button and, and launch yep. when the opportunity presented itself. So I think where other people may have been considering, um, and I did end up having one opponent in the endorsement contest, I was the first one out the gate. Right. Which it, that's the way to do it. If you're gonna, if you're thinking about doing something like this, be on top of it, and that usually gives you some something of an advantage. 
Absolutely. One more follow-up question. So we normally ask most of our guests, did you grow up in a house? Because because did you grow up in a Democratic house or did you grow up in a Republican? Because we ask every we ask everybody and, and, and most of the people, most of the people is so crazy. A lot of people is like their switch is like they were a Democrat. And the during the Obama, the second Obama is like people was like, ah, can't do this no more. It, <laughs> it, 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 it's over. So 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 did you grow up in a Democratic house? Or, or or not? I'm going to give you what may be the most interesting question or answer you've ever had to that question. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. So my, mm-hmm. my parents were both Jehovah's Witnesses. And one of the one of the oddities about Jehovah's Witnesses is that they do not get involved in politics. Right. Uh, they, they regard it as a form of idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. A form of a form of worship that's due to the Lord. Right. And so um they were neither Republican nor Democrat. Now, if I had to guess based upon what I know of their personalities and their dispositions and their views on the world, where they would have landed had they been political, my guess w- would be that both of them would have been Democrats. Right. Um, just because, you know, my dad, my dad was black and he, he came from that that uh, background. He was raised in Detroit. Um, oh, and absolutely. he lived through, you know, I mean, look, 10 years before... I was born, it w- still would have been illegal for my parents to be married in a, in a few states in right. the union, right? Yeah. So I can't begrudge him, you know, when he sat me down to have the talk at whatever age of this is what it's like to be black in America. <laughs> and and I had, I couldn't relate to anything he was saying right. because my life had been awesome compared right. to his. Right, absolutely. You know? And so I'm like, yeah, sure, dad, whatever. Um, but I get it. I understand why he feels the way that he feels and why he felt the way that he felt. But I came to, I came to politics on my own terms. Um, and it was, I, if I had to point to a couple of key moments, one would be when my eighth grade social studies teacher tried to explain the difference between Republicans and Democrats. And he said that Democrats are the party of the little guy and Republicans are the party of the rich. And so Mm. I immediately, I immediately was like, well, I don't got money. So. Right. I must be, <laughs> right. I must be, be a, a Democrat. Democrat. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then moment number two was I rem- in high school, I did this thing called PSEO where you can go back and forth to community college in the middle of the day. Okay. And I would drive there at 11 in the morning. And that's when Rush Limbaugh was on in the radio. Mm. And I wanted to check him out specifically because I had heard how terrible he was and how he was like a KKK grandmaster. Yeah, And so I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be entertaining. Let's let's flip this on. And, see what this <laughs> right. guy and much to my surprise, all the things he was saying, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Well, yep. what's what's the problem with this guy? And, and from there. Right. It just all came into focus of like, okay, I see what's going on. This yep. is, there's something yep. else here that people don't want me to know. And that, and that of course, makes it a little sexier because yeah. people people don't want you to talk about it. I mean, you, you guys were just talking about a similar type of experience. People are telling you what you can say and can't say. Yep. Kind of, yep. It kind of makes you want to say it more, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so how do places uh, uh, or the cities in uh, HD30A differ in politics and culturally from places in Minneapolis or St. Paul? I mean, I think it, 
it, it might be fair to say that it's completely inverted. Um, so like demographically, I believe it's 96% white in this district. Um, which surprised me to discover actually, because okay. like anecdotally, you know, I look around my neighborhood or I go to the grocery store or I go down to the high school. It seems diverse to me. I see a lot of diversity. I see a lot of kids from different backgrounds. Um, but even so the, the, the statistics don't lie. It's 96% white. Right. Um, it's, it's a 65, 35 Republican Democrat area. Um, very conservative. Wright County generally is, is regarded as one of the most conservative areas of the state. Um, and it's it's very much, at least my district, most of it is very much a, uh, a bedroom community. Albertville in particular is primarily residential. Right. Um, we're, we're developing. We've got commercial and industrial happening, but not at the same ratio right. as closer to the cities. Um, and so... You know, the politics out here, especially since I started um, in the legislature and I, I get to see a lot of the other sides perspective on things. Um, you know, we take we take care of our own and we take care of ourselves out here. And, th and that develops an expectation that that's how things ought to be. And yeah. so, you know, when we hear about other people's problems, um, I think the knee jerk reaction is, well, that's your problem, right? Like we're taking care of ours. Why don't you take care of yours? Right. Um, and so I think that one of the things I hope to be able to do is to kind of serve as a translator between those cultures and say, Hey, you know, you guys are onto something. We've got some things figured out. You got some things that you could teach us. Let's okay. be a little bit more collaborative than oppositional. Absolutely. Right. Um, so, so with, with, with a large amount of Republicans uh, losing in this uh, last election in the state, uh, how difficult has it been in a in a state Congress uh, for you as a Republican to get some of your ideas uh, accepted? Well, it's been basically the terms that are on offer is if if it's something that we would have done anyway, we'll do it. That's the attitude that they have towards us, mm -hmm. right? Is they'll accept, they'll accept our ideas as long as our ideas further their ideas. Right. So right. It's, not, <laughs> it's not gonna, they're, they're not, they're not looking to see how they can make their policies um, less like their policies. Right. You know, if it, it's, it's largely like technical stuff and, um, marginal stuff you know where we say hey you missed the dot on this i or you should have crossed that t they'll be like oh okay sure you know <laughs> but in, anything anything that actually changes the substance of policy they're not interested in looking at right now and you know they would probably tell you hey we won the election we get to do what we want and i certainly understand that from from in terms of practical reality institutional reality that's true they did win and they do have the ability to do whatever they want i don't think it's particularly smart to do it that way for a couple of reasons. One, um, from, from a political standpoint, they barely won. I mean, not overall, but in terms of the actual granular individual races, they barely won two statewide races. They barely won a bunch of legislative races. And so they should be concerned about maintaining credibility um, and, and not driving the car past the guardrail and off the edge of the cliff. Right. Um, but then also, like culturally and in terms of their own rhetoric, 
the the whole notion of like one Minnesota and uniting the country and we're all in this together and this type of communal rhetoric, the democracy, the, the sacredness <laughs> of listening to people. If you actually believe in all of that stuff, then you should be going out of your way to have transparency and deliberation and to listen to people and to actually take into account what all of your voters have to say. Because it's not just the 40,000 voters in my district who are being ignored right now in the process that is being run by the Democrats in St. Paul. It's also the people in their own districts who didn't mm, vote for them, right. who are being ignored right now. <clears throat> yeah. And and you you can't, when you have that dissonance between what you claim to value, which is everybody's voice, and what you're doing, which is catering to a very narrow slice of your own base, um, you're, you're not going to engender happiness and sunshine and rainbows. You're going to engender vitriol and resentment, and you're going to make things worse. And I think we're going to see that happen. Absolutely. Do you think the Republicans can, can take over again? Because, because I, I would think that was the time to, to, to have Republicans say you and me both. Is it, it, yeah. Yeah. Is it any better time? Like, like how, how can conservatives, take back over like 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 what's the what's the strategy so i i think that because i could get into a lot of detail as to what i think the strategy ought to be but then it wouldn't be much of a strategy right <laughs> absolutely, well, absolutely. Co coach why don't you take us through the playbook um, <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> but what i will what i will say is i think that there's a couple things that have to have to happen broadly speaking um, one goes back to how we started the conversation. I mean, you asked me how I got started. I got started where I was. And, and I think conservatives, uh, you know, if you ask the, you ask the average self-identified progressive, um, how they feel about politics and the world they live in and, and what they've, what they're going to do about it. Every progressive I've met, like somebody who calls themselves a progressive, right? acts like they're the king of the universe, right? Like they are they are deep into everything around them. They're at their city council, they're at their school board, they're 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 in their churches and and whatnot. And they believe that they that they personally are going to change the world. Right. And you kind of look at them and you're like, dude, you know, slow down. Like you're not right. come on. who do you who do you think you are? Right. But but that attitude um, that attitude individually, when you lump it all together with what a bunch of people who think that way and feel that way and have that level of commitment to the cause, when you bring it all together, it's a powerful force and it gets things done. Mm. Um, I think we should take our cues from that. I think there are a lot of ways in which, and this goes beyond politics. Right. There are a lot, there are a lot of ways in which we tend nowadays, especially to neglect um, the sphere of influence that we find ourselves in, yeah. you know, our homes, our churches, our communities, because those, because they're not big enough. They're not grand enough. They're not, they, it, we, we all want to be rock stars. We all want to be president. We all want to be a, a movie. So we want to be something big. Absolutely. Um, and be, and because we're waiting to be something big, we're not taking care of the things that are small. Um, the way we take back the culture and and because I think that's the order of operation. You got to take the culture first and then you take the yeah. politics. Yeah. Um, the way we take back our culture is by reaching out as far as our arms will go 
at handling that stuff that's there. Right. And so that's where I would suggest people start. I, see, I, I was telling my um, my brother the other day, um, I feel like, because we talk about the the WEF, the World Economic Forum, we talk about those guys, uh, Klaus Schwab all the time. <clears throat> and I said the, the reason why they're able to win is not only because of money and affluence, it's because they organize yeah. a lot better than the rest of us do. Like yeah. if we if we even plan to to go against them, we have to have our own World Economic Forum where we come together and it's something opposite of what they do, you know? And I and, and I think that we're we're very slow to to doing that. You know, and, and I feel like it like we have to set something up like that like now. You know, and I think and, and what I, what I also notice is that a lot of uh, liberal states, they're not giving control back. I think you spoke on that earlier. It, it's like one, once they once they get in control, it seemed like I think Virginia, maybe just maybe the uh, uh, the governor, the, yeah, the governor took over. But I feel like as the whole political form, a lot of these places are just staying liberal, you know, and and. and we have to do something about that. Have to because they're going to the other extreme. Like the the they're so far left. You know, just having having a, 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 a transgenders, a, a parties parties in schools. You know, just just crazy stuff that you never thought would be a concern. Yeah, I mean, so I I think that the biggest impediment. Let me tell you why I think we lost in twenty twenty two. Right, and, and then you can you can discern from that yeah, right. how we turn it around. I think there are a couple big reasons why we lost in 2022. Um, the first one is we assumed we were going to win. So you spoke earlier about that was our moment. If it was ever going to happen, that that's when it was going. And people talked about it that way. I talked about yep. it that way. Mm-hmm. Of like this is the year, you know, the economy's terrible. Biden's making all kinds of mistakes. Um, you know, the carjackings up, crimes a problem. And the polling suggested that, right? Like the people saying, you know, I can't take this crime. I can't take this inflation, gas prices. And so we got this in our heads. And it's it's kind of like the opposite of that progressive commitment that I was talking about earlier, where instead of committing ourselves to the task of getting the job done, we adopted this like manifest destiny, like it's ours. Yep. You know, and put it on cruise control and lost. Right. Yep. Um, you all, I think an, the other env- big environmental factor you have to look at is the DACA decision and the abortion issue. That certainly was a big brick on the scale yes. in their direction. No doubt yep. about it. But I also don't like to overplay that because that that's kind of like pointing to something else and saying, well, if it, only it wasn't for that, right. we should take responsibility for for how we handled that issue. Um, But then the biggest thing, I think, I really do think this is the biggest thing, the biggest contributing factor. We have been so obsessed, and by we, I mean conservatives generally, have been so obsessed with the election system and voter integrity and voter fraud, however you want to talk about it, um, that it has become a excuse for not doing the things that you need to do in order to win elections. Mm. So instead of the, the, the analogy that I use is if you're playing a game of monopoly, um, you know, there are different sets of rules that you can play that game by and you have to agree upon what the rules are before you start. 
Um, and let's say you're really into the idea that no, I, 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 I need to be able, I want to play by the rules where you have to put one house on each property first before you put the next house on the property. That, those are the rules right. I want to play by. But the person who's, whose board it is, right? The person who owns the board is, is like, it's like, no, we're not doing it that way. We're going to, we're going to, you can put as much as you, if you got the cash, you can put a hotel on a property right away. Absolutely. Well, then you then you start playing the game and you get a you get a monopoly and you put your one house on and you're like, I'm not playing by those rules because those rules are dumb. And then the person who's boarded is, is like, OK, sounds good to me. And then he puts a hotel on and you land on and you go bankrupt. <laughs> right now, you can sit there and complain about how you don't like the rules that he set up for the board. Um, but those are the rules. Absolutely. And that's the situation that we're in here with with uh, elections in Minnesota is that we're so stuck in complaining about what the rules are. And I think rightfully so. I mean, all the complaints about elections are are on the whole legitimate, but it is what it is. It's not yep. going to change by complaining about it. And it's not going to, ch it's not going to change by, by through lawsuits. It's, it's going to change by one thing, winning elections. That's how it's yep. going to change. Yep. And so the, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what do we need to do to win those elections with the rules of the board as currently written? And let me tell you, those rules are about to get much, much worse. Yep. They've got an elections bill coming through that's going to have automatic voter registration. It's going to have pre-registration of 16-year-olds. It's going to have um, automatic mail-in ballots coming to your house indefinitely if you sign up for it. I mean, I've, I've been living in this house for a decade, and I still get mail from the people who lived here before me. Wow. Like, so wow. the, the the idea that we're just going to be sending ballots to people, whether they ask for it or not, is yeah. insane. But that's the way it's going to be. And so we have to come up with ways of dealing with things that are strategic within the environment that they have provided. Yes, absolutely. 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 All right. So the uh, the the one of the big things that have passed through this year is the PRO Act. And uh, it's one of the most like um, liberal abortion laws in the country uh explain to our audience um what changes uh have been made to the abortion laws in the state of minnesota with, with pro act <laughs> well <laughs> basically what the pro act does is it makes it it makes it legal to kill a child at an indeterminate up to an indeterminate point so it's not even it's not even accurate to say that you can kill unborn children at any point during pregnancy. That's true. It could also be read to allow for the killing of a born child up to an indeterminate point, um, because what it does is it just it take it basically creates the wild, wild west. It creates anarchy in the sphere of unborn life where we're not going to do anything to intervene we're not going to regulate at all we're not going to even we're not going to require the facilities to be licensed we're not going to inspect them you, you have to go through more government rigmarole to open an oil change place than an abortion clinic mm. um and you have to you're going to undergo more scrutiny from state agencies for opening that oil change place or that nail salon or that barber shop mm. then you will have to uh, to open an abortion clinic 
Um, and it's completely out of sync with everything that they claim to believe in value and how they operate in every other sphere. Abortion, abortion is apparently the only area of life where Democrats are Ayn Rand libertarian, you know, do as you will. We don't yep. care. Yep. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> yep. the only sphere <laughs> of life where they have no interest in intervening yep. or asking questions or knowing what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, this just create this creates a pocket of anarchy around unborn children. And like I say, to, th there's really no way to effectively draw a line at birth and say you can't kill your kid. Then, so 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 the yeah, yeah. the window of I guess what they call it the window of viability or whatever that's out of the window. That's a thing of the past. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And we tried there, there were a variety of amendments at different points that we offered um, to do different things. And one of them was a third trimester abortion ban. And just to put that in context, third trimester is like 26 weeks. Mm -hmm. We know that a, an unborn baby is viable at 20 or 21 weeks. And, right. and vi viable means can survive outside the womb. Now, I personally don't think that that's where the line should be because I, I don't think that that's what gives a, a human life value. But certainly, it's a significant line, right? If you're if you're saying, "Hey, if we if we just cared for this child, it would live," it, the saying that we're going to take that child and instead rip it apart and toss it in the dumpster, which is what they do, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the, that's the other thing is that these procedures past that point, like once you get in the third trimester, you're talking about some barbaric horror Absolutely. movie stuff that gets done in order to eliminate that life. And so, yeah, viability is not part of uh, the equation. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. It's see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Just do evil. Well, it is exactly. I, 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 I got. I got just one more follow up question on that. Um. Uh. Also, uh, when I look in the pro act, I see like sterilization, um, and even yeah. like um um, what they call it um, gender reassignment surgery. Uh, are, are these things? Uh. And and I think it. I think it may say. And this is this is why I want clarification. Uh. You can have these things done without parental consent. Um, yes. are, are these yes. things in the pro act? Because a lot of times it, it, it's, it's almost like I have a lot of Democrats in my family. And it's like, when yeah. I bring some of these topics up, they'll say, Oh, I ain't with that. I ain't with that. But I, I, I like to keep bringing them up just to show them that like, this is what you are signing up for. This is what you are voting for. So, so gender reassignment surgery and sterilization in Minnesota, can someone underage get those without parental consent yes mm. yes and we and we know that because again we we specifically attempted to amend the bill to exclude that to prevent it um there were and we did it a couple of different ways one way was by trying to get them to license the facilities right because if the facility is licensed then it's subject to regulation and inspection and reporting requirements so we know what's going on there um, and, and they rejected that another thing we tried to do was require parental notification um, and they rejected that so you're not going to know if you're if if my 12 year old niece 
goes in the clinic. Um, she's being abused by somebody and none of us in the family know about it. And that person takes her into the clinic. That clinic not only is going to provide any service she asks for, including sterilization, including surgery. Um, they're not going to notify her mother and none of us will ever know about it. And her, wow. the, the perpetrator that's abusing her will get to go on abusing her and have the evidence destroyed. Um, they didn't want to do anything to stop any of that. And here's the interesting thing. So they rejected on the House floor, they rejected um, licensing the facilities, right? Mm -hmm. There's another bill making its way through. It's House File 91. It's it's the repeal of any any of the remaining uh, abortion laws that we have in the books, whether they're being enforced now or not. And amongst them is parental notification, which is has been ruled unconstitutional for some insane reason. Um, but that's under appeal. So it's like in the process of being looked at, but they want to repeal it before it gets looked at. Um, wow. and, and so we heard that bill, this new bill in our, I believe it was the public safety committee that I sit on. And they argued because again, we're, we brought up this point about parental notification and, you know, what are you going to do with people who are being abused, people who are being, um, human trafficked and whatnot, don't you want to catch that? Don't you want to intervene? Mm -hmm. And the argument that they made was, well, we can't have parental notification because sometimes it's the parent who's doing the abuse. And so you don't want to have a situation where it's, you know, it's Uncle Bob or it's dad or it's grandpa who is abusing the daughter. And then as a condition of getting an abortion, we have to notify the perpetrator that All this right. is something that's happening. Okay. All right. I don't believe you. Like, I don't believe that that's <laughs> right. a, a reason why we should have parental notification. But let's right. just, let's accept it for the sake of argument. Let's accept it for yep. the sake of Under current law, we have this thing called mandated reporting. Mm -hmm. It's an obligation for certain people to, if they have reason to believe that somebody's being abused, that somebody's being um, the victim of human trafficking, they are mandated to report that to the relevant law enforcement agency. Right. You go and you read the statute, you go and you read the policy put out by the Department of Human Services, um, and they explicitly say in there, to, to the, the people who have to mandate report, who, have to, who are required to report, are folks who work with children in a licensed facility. So they had the opportunity when they were doing the PRO Act to protect these kids, to protect victims of rape and human trafficking by licensing the facility, which would have that. Then if they had done that, then they could make this argument about parental notification, right? They could be like, well, we don't want to notify the parents because the parents might be the perpetrator. But what, but we did license the facility, so we have mandated reporters. So right. your concern about that stuff has been taken care. Of. Like right. they had the opportunity to make it work, but they're so eager on their side. And I, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, where they are not beholden. Your friends and family that you talked about who vote Democrat and are like, well, I'm not down with that. The, the Democrats don't care about your democratic friends and family and what they think and what they're Absolutely. down with or not down with what they care about is what the most extreme radical fringe of their base wants and the most extreme radical fringe of their base has the position that any intervention of any kind any impediment to access of any kind no matter what good it might achieve is wrong 
because I ought to be able to end my kid's life up to any indeterminate point as long as as long as I can get away with it. That's their position. And that's what these laws do. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm I'm trying okay, so Oh my gosh! Where, where do I start? Okay, do you do 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 do, do you? I don't want to be sound like a, a conspiracy theorist. Do do you believe that uh, these Democrats are passing these fringe laws? Because I remember a time where you, as a politician, you would kind of stay in the middle, so you could kind of. You know, you know, you could win a, another election. It seemed like nowadays what's going on is like they're doing the worst possible thing that most of their people who even vote for them don't even believe in. And they right. keep winning it over and over again. So, uh, like, it, do you think that these Democrats that's uh, uh, in office, do you think they really believe that these things or do you think it's somebody else who's kind of asking them to to push these things through to create like a different America. <clears throat> well, I mean, I would, I would like to think that when somebody casts a vote, when a, when a legislator casts a vote, they're doing it because mm -hmm. they believe in it. I mean, right. that, that's where my votes come from. Like I don't vote for things that I Absolutely. don't believe in. And right. if I, if I'm conflicted, like I, I'll give you an example of felon voting the restoration of rights to felon voting. Um, I've gone back and forth on that. And, and I'll sit here, I'll sit and if you ask me, I'll sit and tell you why. And I'll sit and tell you what my, what my deal is. Um, I ended up voting against it and I can tell you why I voted against it. Right. I would like to think that you could sit down a Democrat and ask them the same thing about the pro act. And they would tell you, this is right. why I'm, this is why I'm for it. Um, so I think, I think what's actually going on is, is less, <sighs> It's it's just um, hubris. It's just they have such confidence in their lock on power. Right. Um, because they've they've tilted again. They own that monopoly board. Right. So yeah. they have they have such institutional control when it comes to elections and how elections are administered, when it comes to the media, um, when it comes to institutions. I mean, everything Everything, their ideology is baked into the cake of all the institutions. Our schools, our departments, our state agencies yep. are all singing their tune. And they're all staffed with their people. And yep. so they don't have any reason. I mean, you talk about you know, being relatively moderate in order to win an election. They don't have to. That's, that's right. the thing is they don't have to moderate to win elections. Right. And they're proceeding with the swagger and the confidence that, you would expect from people who have power and no fear because right. that's their situation. They have power and no fear. They are not in any way concerned about anybody stepping up against them or coming up against them because they believe that they can weather the storm. And, and that might ultimately end up being their Achilles heel. Because like I said, they, th they outraised Republicans 10 to one last cycle. They had all these institutional advantages with the media and um, with the election system and, and all that, and they still barely won. Now, yeah. a, a smart person would look at that and be like, oh, we need to 
we need to yank the the chain back a little bit and hold our activists at bay and um and like you say listen to people and listen to our own people listen to people who voted for us mm-hmm. right uh, and and go with what they're saying but they did not get that memo they didn't they're right. not they're not taking that lesson and uh i think they're very much overreaching even their own grasp that they have with all of their institutional advantages. And if we are able to capitalize on that um, by not doing what we did last time and assuming we're going to win because look at how they're overreaching, but by actually doing the work in, in our own, as far as our arms will reach, you know, getting the guy next to us and having him go down. um, There's a real chance of overturning this guy next year. Right. Uh, okay. So, what's the craziest? I know we already talked about a lot of crazy stuff. So, what's the craziest thing that you heard come from uh, the Democrats? Because, because I, I seen illegals getting driver's license. Yeah. I heard, uh, I heard of putting menstrual products in in boys' bathrooms. Like, mm-hmm. what is what is going on? Like, I like what's the craziest thing that you heard? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure we might have named them all. I hope we named them all. <laughs> well, there's a couple. There's a couple that you didn't name um, that I think are are candidates for craziest. The top okay. one is there's a, a bill that's been making its way slowly but surely through the process um, that would make Minnesota a trans refugee state. And yeah. that that's how they're selling it. In reality, what this bill would do is, and I, I kid you not, when I tell you this, you're going to be like, oh, no, there's no way. No, this, <laughs> this is what the bill does. What the bill would do is it would it would facilitate and make legal the kidnapping of children from other states in order to bring them here to be poisoned and mutilated. That's what it would do. It is it, oh it's a bill is a bill designed to uh, negate or nullify um, custody claims from other states in order to facilitate reassignment, sexual uh, reassignment surgery for minors, for children. And so if, if mom wants to take her kid from dad in some state where he has custody, Minnesota is going to intervene and say, I don't care that you have custody in your state. This is Minnesota. And here we poison and mutilate kids. That's what we're about. So you don't have any rights here. You can't have your kid back. And but but by the way, you can sit and watch as we poison and mutilate him. That's what the, I think that is probably the Oscar winner right there in terms of the craziest thing that they're doing. Um, that is insane. A second, uh, a that probably has a broader definitely has a broader impact but isn't quite as crazy um is they they passed what we call the blackout bill which is this mandate that we're going to go carbon free by 2040 now when you say carbon free there are things like nuclear that are carbon free and it's fantastic and it's getting better there's like this new small nuclear technology modular nuclear they call it um that's just fan. You can it can use spent fuel cells from older uh, reactors as fuel, so it, it actually right. cleans up nuclear waste right. from previous reactors. Mm-hmm. But they don't want they don't count that as carbon free. Um, hydro, they don't count that as carbon free. Mm-hmm. A tiny little percentage of it they'll accept. Um, 
natural gas they want to get rid of. They got another bill on its way through that if you build a, a new building in Minnesota or you renovate. So let's say you want to renovate your kitchen under this bill. You got a gas stove. You're going to have to replace it with electric under there. Oh, my bill. gosh. Um, so anyway, when we were debating this on the House floor and basically what the the effect of this bill is is that in 17 years our all of our electricity is supposed to come from two sources solar and wind okay and just to put that into context um while we were debating this on the floor there's an app you can download on your phone that'll give you a breakdown of like where all the energy is coming from solar was producing negative 2 megawatts while we were debating this on the house floor in other words it was costing energy rather than adding it um in wind was producing 19%. So 80% of our energy today is coming from coal, natural gas, nuclear, all, all the sources that they have just mandated we get rid of. And oh my gosh. When you when you ask them how are we going to get in 17 years, how are we going to get to having all of our energy from solar and nuclear? Jamie Long, that's the majority leader, the the chief Pumba. Um, aside from the Speaker of the House in the on the Democrat side, on the House floor, with a straight face, said Minnesota is a pretty sunny and pretty windy place. <laughs> so, so their uh. <laughs> so their plan is their plan is, eh, well, it'll be fine. We'll figure it out. It's oh like what? <laughs> like you're talking ridiculous. about ridiculous. You're talking about people's lives. You're talking about yeah. the ability to turn on your lights and your heat in the winter. This is Minnesota. This ain't Florida. This ain't California. Yeah, like we yeah. need we need our energy. Um, and their plan is ah, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, it seemed like we're becoming uh, the the baby version of California. That's what it seems like. We just because they they, they have the, the uh, you could take. Kids to uh, you could take kids. Uh, uh, that's a trans refuge state too, and I th it seemed like we just follow it in the same footsteps. Because I, I, I think, don't we have something? Uh, maybe this might be in that bill too. I think twenty thirty five. No, all new cars must be uh, what uh, EV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they got another bill coming through that, and this this one. I mean, you go back to talking about your Democrat friends and family. This one got my Democrat friends and family calling me being like what do you what's going on why right. um they want to make it illegal to sell gas powered lawnmowers and like weed whackers and leaf blowers and whatnot so yeah they want all that stuff to be electric too mm. oh that's, my gosh that's why. okay so we got Ridiculous. we got a couple more questions uh for you um you made headlines with the uh jim crow statement about mandates which i i, I applaud it because um uh, i definitely uh, made uh, some sort of correlation like that as well. Uh, there's a restaurant right across the street from where I live at. And I remember uh, during the pandemic, uh, I literally was like, oh, I want to go across the street and get something to eat. And then I looked them up online and right. I'm like, oh, I can't go across the street and get something to eat. Uh, I'm not vaccinated, you know what I'm saying? So it, I, I couldn't. So um, uh, Many black people felt the same way as you did. Uh, uh, do you see more mandates in the future, or do you see some of those <laughs> things calming down as far as COVID? <laughs> <laughs> well, so more mandates overall, obviously, of course. Um, but in terms of COVID, COVID seems to have – I mean, 
COVID presented them with an opportunity to do the stuff that they wanted to do all along. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why you'll notice how quickly everything rolled out. You know, mm-hmm. like those those dots on the floor were ready to go. <laughs> were, yep. they, yep. There was there wasn't any rollout time. There wasn't any oh, we need to wait for it to be shipped. Like they were ready. Um, COVID was just an opportunity to to do to to put the screws on. Um, now they've got the whole kit and caboodle. They don't need an excuse. They don't need to wait for for COVID. Um, and so I feel like now they that's a tool that's still in the toolbox and they're going to keep it and they're utilizing it um, for different things. But I feel like now they, that means has served its end and the end was to put them in power. I mean, you'll notice one of the things they leaned into right away with that was elections. Like Steve Simon used COVID as an excuse to change election law And at first he did it without the legislature, you know. Um, So that's really what it was about. It was about control. It was about being the master, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and now they are. And so they've got what they want. And so why fiddle around with COVID when you've got what you needed COVID to in order to get? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, you talk about getting in trouble for making comparisons to slavery and talking about Jim Crow and all these things. I, I just I think it's hilarious. I really enjoyed that entire episode, and and it's going to happen again because yeah. it needs to be said. Um, because the 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 thing that I think is that I find perplexing and bizarre about the left is that they get so upset about those things, and yeah. they and they justify current action and current policy based on these problems from. 80 years ago or 200 years ago, chattel slavery, Jim Crow. Um, But my question for them is why are you upset? Absolutely. You, you need to tell me, you need to explain to me why slavery is bad. Why is slavery bad? Why was Jim Crow bad? Because it's not immediately obvious to me based upon what you're prescribing and what you're doing and how you talk about people and, what you're all about. Like everything, you go down the list of the Democratic, everything we talked about today, okay? They're for killing children. They're for kidnapping and poisoning and mutilating them. They're for turning off your power grid. Um, Okay, so you tell me what part of your agenda, what part of your worldview precludes slavery? Mm -hmm. What What part of your worldview, what part of your ideology precludes Jim Crow. I mean, these are the same people who, if if you if you t- let them talk long enough, they'll tell you that white people shouldn't be here and white people shouldn't be there, and that white people should pay for this and pay for that. So, in other words, they want Jim Crow. Like that's what they want, right? Like, mm-hmm. Right. Yep. They're advocating for Jim Crow, just inverting <laughs> yep. the races. Um, and they certainly don't have any fundamental philosophical opposition to slavery. I mean, every, everything they prescribe is I'm in charge. You're not. Yep. Your life yep. is mine. The fruit of your labor should serve my ends. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's everything that's going on right now is yep. them laying claim over the fruit of your labor. You will go out and you will work and then we will take what you just earned, yoink right out of the back of your pocket. And then we're going to spend it better than you would because we're the master. 
Yeah. But I'm supposed to take you seriously when you whine and cry about slavery from 200 years ago? I'm supposed right. to take you seriously when you whine and cry about Jim Crow from 80 years ago? No, you're not sincere. And Absolutely. And, and not only is it insincere, uh, it's evil. It's evil to to play to emotionally manipulate people with those things. Yes. Um, to pretend that you're on somebody's side, that you're for them, and that you're joining with them in their pain, when in actuality you're just manipulating them and using them to take their power away mm-hmm. and to impose your will upon them and to right. re-enslave them in another form. Yep. Amazing. Absolutely. Wow. <clears throat> that is it. Man, oh my gosh. I, I can't wait till my mom hear this episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I cannot wait. Oh my gosh. I'm a, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to sit where she don't like she she don't like listening to with us because then we start getting a little little arguments and stuff. So so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say, hey mom, you just listen to this one real quick. That, that's all you gotta do. Right. <laughs> Hey, we we appreciate you and we thank you for coming on. Is there any? Uh, uh, can you tell everybody how they can reach you, or do you have any other events coming up? Yeah, I would say um, you can if you Google Representative Walter Hudson. My official legislative page should be the second or third thing that pops up. Um, you can sign up for my email updates there. So every week I put out an email update of what's going on in the legislature, what crazy thing are they doing today. Um, I'm on Twitter at Walter Hudson. Pretty easy to find. And uh, usually, usually pretty active there. I've been a little under the weather this past week, so I've been less active than usual. Right. Um, and you know, you do those two things, you're you're pretty well um, tuned in. Hudson for MN dot com is the is the website, and that's uh, pretty much covers it. All right, thank All you. Right, we want to thank you again, and we appreciate you for coming on. Absolutely appreciate you for having me. All right, bye.